0: We had a really interesting conversation, Hayley Watts and I, last time in this special series of The Game Changers, where we looked at storylines, we looked at the way in which our personal stories and the stories of those around us can help us to understand what it is that we do. And in many ways, I'm left thinking that the proper study of the world is the study of the self, and yet the study of the self is all about how to give yourself to the world. I can't wait to dig into this a little bit more. Haley Watson, let's go. Um, Haley. can I be just a little bit edgy nerd with you for a moment? Because I'm I'm really interested in the methodology of Open Parachute. So you've got this methodology which says that you're going to go and record video and then bring it into a classroom setting and use psychological tools that are gonna help. Where did you come up with this idea? Why did you choose this methodology?
1: Yeah, so it's a great question. I came to a point in my career where I wanted to do more. I wanted to figure out how can I reach more kids? How can I, you know, I, I could feel that I wasn't living up to my potential and there was a, something that was missing. And so I started off it started with, I started writing a book for teenagers. And I very quickly learned from all of the teenagers, I knew that teenagers don't read books. So I definitely should not do that. And they all told me I should start a YouTube channel. And I had never, like before that point, I wasn't on social media. I had never been in front of a camera. It was completely foreign to me, Um, but I thought, okay, why not? And so I started filming teenagers and and I was living in Australia at the time. And I sort of left and and went on a little bit of a walkabout and just sort of went around, you know, in, in a few places in the world, mainly in Canada, the US and filmed teenagers. And when I was filming them, something came alive in me and something came alive in them. So it was one of those moments of just like knowing that this was something that worked. And there was something about the conversation because I you know this is my passion and i've been doing it for so long and i love working with teenagers we were able to have these conversations that were really you know deep and these teenagers, I'm just I was just floored by how much wisdom they wanted to share. And, and they're all, I mean, that generation is very comfortable in front of a camera. And so they really, you know, and, and I was finding these teenagers that had these powerful stories and this this beautiful story of how they overcame things and this this strength. And and I immediately, you know, thought, you know, we have to get these voices out there. I mean, this is this is. The, the future, this is how we can have hope is, is these stories. And so that sort of turned into that YouTube channel turned into trialing, going into a classroom setting and saying, okay, what happens when we bring, when we bring these videos and we bring this learning in this video based way. And it was really interesting because I had, I did some trials where I would go into a classroom and just try to generate this discussion without the use of these videos and it was very you know some classes you'd get a little bit but there was never it never went to a level of depth whereas when they had a role modeling which is true for all of us right as soon as we hear someone else break the ice in that way then all of a sudden it would be like immediate engagement and these kids they were able to really, really go there. And so that's what sparked that, that recognition of, okay, this creates safety in the same way that, you know, when I used to run group therapy with teenagers, you know, having those videos creates like a group therapy context where all of a sudden it's safe to explore these things. And so that's sort of what led to, to building out the program around those videos.
0: Absolutely fascinating. I want to take you back into that to the moment where you had that intuitive eureka moment that said, I have to follow it down this pathway. Part of the challenge, and I'm talking to you here as an educator, you being the educator, I'm just some bloke with a beard these days, but (laughs) you're the educator and you see an opportunity and you don't wait to be given permission. You don't wait to have uh, a huge mass of evidence around it you've got a sense that this is the right sort of thing. Then you jump into it and I guess you've been iterating since then to find the best way of doing it. Talk to me about how it felt at that yeah. moment.
1: It's a great question and a really important question because I think this is what stops a lot of us you know, from making these leaps is, is how, how do we do that, right? And so for me, it was and continues to be a series of small steps. That's the best way that I can describe it. Like the, the, you know, and it was almost, it was really fascinating because what I felt was almost also coming from the fact that what I was feeling before I felt that was burnt out, exhausted, you know, tired, feeling like I needed something different. I didn't know why, you know, just that, that I think is an important part of it because I think, and and, and, and if
0: and if I can just jump in for a moment, that's how many teachers feel. There are many absolutely. teachers who feel tired, burnt out, the, the weight of the world on their shoulders, and they feel as though they, sh- they feel so disempowered. How do we help them get to that moment yes, of feeling? Absolutely.
1: Empowered? Absolutely. So so my journey with that, and what I strongly believe a lot of people's journey is, is just stopping and in some way zooming out and getting getting out of that in whatever way that you can. And I know that it's hard to do that. But for me, it started with, I went to a um, yoga teacher training in Bali for a month. I mean, that was really luxurious (laughs) to do that, but I got away for a month. And during that time of just being separate from my life, that started it started, I think the feeling would would be a little bit of excitement again of, ooh, you know, and then the first impulse. And again, this is where I think it's important to recognize. It wasn't like I all of a sudden woke up one day and had this whole formulated idea of what I was going to do and how I was going to get there. It started with actually just a thought of maybe I want to live overseas again. Maybe I want to move again. Maybe I want to travel. That's what it started with. And then you know, it's, then I made the decision to, to move eventually. And then that decision led to, well, okay, now I've left and I've left all these things. Um, and it was a difficult time. You know, my, my brother's wife had just passed away. My nieces were struggling. I was feeling disconnected from them. And I just sort of made this decision, well, maybe I'll go there. And then, then it was the inspiration came of this YouTube video. And it was a feeling of, it was a feeling of delight it was a feeling of fun. It was a feeling of, of um, joy, you know, of, of, of spark, you know, and because I hadn't, you know, I, that had been missing. So it felt very significant. And so, and I think that the big thing is, is you just keep moving towards that, whatever that looks like. So if the spark is something simple, like, you know, wow, I feel excited in the moments that I'm going for my walk in the morning, or I feel excited in, you know, the time I'm spending with my children, or I feel excited in in that one, you know, moment I had with a student, whatever it is, you just, it doesn't matter what it is, you just say, that is me alive, and you take a step towards that. and And you just, a big part of it, I think, is trust of letting go of the control of knowing that we, like I could never have planned my journey of creating Open Parachute, there's no way. And I couldn't have done it if I didn't go through the slog of like really looking at what's happening and I'm not happy and okay, I'll just try this. I didn't even start it to be a business or to be anything. I just started it because I was like, I don't know what else to do, but it, it feels like fun, you know? And so I think it's that like listening to to our feelings and letting that guide step by step and knowing that it just is a series of little steps. That's all anything ever is.
0: It's, so it's never a finished product. Yeah, it sounds very much like the story of, uh, of, of, of Circle and the School for Tomorrow and Game Changers. You just sort of dig in. And I, and I think people forget sometimes that the slog that comes before that and the challenge, you know, it's in, in education, we talk about the learning pit and yeah. You've got to go into the pit, and and mm-hmm. that's that moment where you become consciously incompetent. You've been unconsciously yes. competent now. You you're, now you consciously competent, and you've got to yes. you've got to find your way through to conscious competence. And everybody in the world can give you advice, but they're already outside the pit. You're the one who's got to find your way out of it yourself. Yes. You know, yes. and and so and people forget, I think, sometimes that everybody goes through this, and everybody has to go through this, and and that. And, you know, yeah. people, I think uh, somehow people expect the system to do that work of getting out of the pit and the system can give you a bit and you know they can throw you some tools to look at but at the end of the day, you've got, I think you got to do that work yourself. I'm mm. interested if my colleague Brad Adams who's the senior partner in our organisation and he is of course an Ontarian so he, he brings, he brings an, uh, another type of Canadian sensibility to the world. <laughs> Um, and, and deep wisdom, he would say at this point, his signature question is to say, how would you know? How would you know that your work is working?
1: Again, it comes back to the way that you feel. So, you know, energy levels are interesting. I feel like the, the experience of burnout and the experience of fatigue and the slog, in my experience, that has less to do with workload and more to do with how we're doing what we're doing, and if what we're doing is resonating with us on a personal level. And so I think when you, for for me anyways, I can only speak about my experience, no matter how hard it is, no matter how often, and there's been lots of times where I've wanted to give up, where it's felt like it's too much, and how can I possibly do this? No matter what was going on, no matter how much struggle there was, there was this sense of, this sense of purpose, this sense of it being bigger than me, this, this feeling of, of, you know, like this is not really about me and my struggles and whatever. And this feeling in this moment and this overwhelm, it's, it's like there was this deeper level level of feeling that arose in me that was sort of impersonal in that it was like, this is, this is happening. And I can feel, and it's, so it's a hard thing to describe, but it's like, that spark that's driving me, that's that excitement. And then that, that knowing that what I'm doing matters. And I think that's the thing we only get to when we really dig into what's not working and what doesn't feel right. And how can we be honest with ourselves? And then when we feel that honesty, it's like, I think it's almost like the absence of all of the, the, the petty struggles. Not that there's not struggle, but it's like, we can we can see the bigger picture of like oh okay that that's really hard and I mean there's there's just no way I would ever go back I mean I think that's another piece of it there's no part of me that could possibly stop this like that's the sense that I have which is kind of a weird feeling to have but it's like there's this momentum around it
0: so if I were if I were to go into my Dan pink moment I would be looking at you and saying so here's someone who's building her mastery and who has found her purpose and who is exercising autonomy instead of control. And that's Mm. the motivation to grow. And that's the process around that, which I think is relevant for both educators in their own right and teachers in their own right, because God bless their little cotton socks. So many of my colleagues don't permission themselves to have that moment of stepping back. Mm-hmm. And they become so wrapped up in the stuff of what they're doing that they forget yes. to stand back and look at at that sense of purpose. And they're almost guilty about making decisions which are about them and and connecting with that sense
1: of yes. bigger
0: purpose. You know.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's and, hard because it's that's the culture we live in. You know, we're we're told that's, that's selfish to, to go away even for a weekend by ourselves to just reflect, you know, we're, we're really, we're taught not to do that stuff.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's on, on, on and we're going to pick up on this, I think in, in the, in the second half of this episode, you, you mentioned feelings earlier. Okay. Mm-hmm. So feelings, oh, well, as we're starting to get in a real dangerous territory here, Haley we were talking <laughs> feelings, you know, it's am I'm, I'm, I'm from the generation who were taught by our fathers not to have, not to show emotion, not to show feelings ever. And mm-hmm. I think that was, it, I think it was well-intentioned. I don't think it was, it was to negate feelings, mm-hmm. but it was this perception that if you show your feelings, the world will exploit them and will take advantage of them. And that feelings therefore practically mm-hmm. were a weakness, which then of course is only one step away from saying that morally feelings are inferior you know, yeah. the effective domain is, is inferior to the cognitive domain. And of course, again, in education, we privilege the cognitive all the time over the yeah. effective. walk me through this, please help me, help me grow. Yes.
1: yes, 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 absolutely. So it is a fascinating topic and it is one that we are just scratching the surface of in our world. So I love talking about it because when we, when we really look at what feelings are, they are our guides. Our feelings are the thing, the only thing that gives us a moral compass, that gives us a sense of what's right for us, what's not right for us. And that goes to everything. You know, the the food that would work best in our body, the the exercise that would work for us, the the relationship that's working for us or not working for us, the, you know, the job that's right or not right, the, the, the thought patterns that are helping us or hurting us. The only way we know that any of that is is you know authentic for us and the and sort of the the path that works for us or not is by the way we feel and so our culture has it so backwards you know when we experience these difficult feelings which we have decided are a weakness and they're bad and we shouldn't show them when we experience things like shame or or grief or sadness or or you know, anger, whatever it is, that's telling us, hey, something's happening that isn't quite working. So the feeling needs to be the first step, not the last step, we, we experience the feeling, we go get rid of it, right, silence it, make it go away. And it's like someone, you know, I do this analogy with my clients all the time, my young clients, you know, it's like somebody, you know, the, the post person comes to the door and hands us an envelope, and in it contains all of this information that's going to be vitally important to our life. And we slam the door in their face and start throwing rocks at them. Say, like, go away, go away, right? This is information. That's all feelings are, information. And what we do is we either silence them or we freak out about them. So, so this is another interesting distinction. Like the feeling of sadness is not the same as the reaction to sadness, the whether we cry or get upset or get angry with someone that's a reaction. So we can actually feel very sad. And this is this is, again, a skill that we need to learn, we can feel sad, and be introspective about it and say, Okay, I'm going to honor this feeling. And I'm going to look at what is it telling me what is happening in my life? Is it is it something that's happening that I need to change? Or is it just a feeling that needs to be here that's an important feeling that's part of my experience or is it because you know i'm fatigued right now and so you know my cortisol levels are low and so you know it's just a natural stress response or you know all of these this is this is how we learn and grow and develop a life that means something is by listening to our feelings
0: oh okay i want to take you into a math as you would call it and maths as we would call it right now (laughs) And you know, it's it's. A, I love my conversation with maths teachers and and physics and chemistry teachers, particularly sometimes languages teachers, who will look at me with that look that says, "What are you talking about?" Like you know, you know, and 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 that's the skepticism, of course, that makes a really good mathematician. Yeah. Um. Which says, Do you know, how 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 are feelings relevant in a maths classroom when, of course, you've got. 25 30 kids sitting there who are feeling most of whom are feeling very challenged by the moment mm-hmm. how do we translate this increasing awareness that the way we feel affects everything that we do and is, is perhaps foundational in learning like we know for example that you know again our research tells us that first comes belonging from belonging Comes the capacity to achieve potential. If you feel as though you belong and you're achieving your potential, you're more likely to do good and right in the world. Yes. You know? So, so that's that's you know, there, there you go. Eight years of research in, in two sentences. <laughs> but how do I bring this into a maths classroom? Help me.
1: Yeah, beautiful. So, I mean, I think there's a really important thing because I think what happens for teachers, and I really get this, is that it's like they have to get the content out, right? And and you know. We don't want to put this burden on them of having to be every student's therapist because there's there's no time for that. And there, there isn't, you know, that's not the, the role of the teacher, right? So I think the biggest thing is not to worry that you have to do anything or teach them anything necessarily about feelings in a math class. The biggest thing that you want to do is validate and normalize the feelings that they're having. so So a great thing in a math class would be to and again peer stories are going to be really really valuable here. So, you imagine that there's this math class, you know, a lot of the kids are struggling, they're probably feeling like they're the dumb one. They're then then all sorts of things will happen. They'll either shut down and like not be able to listen to anything. They might get frustrated and angry, they might get angry at the teacher, they might get angry at their peers. They might become a hardcore perfectionist and do everything perfectly which we would, you know, look at and go oh that's great they're fine then well that's also a pattern right Mm -hmm. so it's like all of these things and and
0: particularly with girls particularly with yes yes it's such an insidious thing with girls perfectionism
1: yes absolutely that's something i really struggled with and didn't realize it you know i just thought i was you know and you get praise for it this is the problem you know you get all this validation and it feels good and everyone says great you're doing such a good job and so you know so it's really in in that math class if we can just stop and have an actual conversation about the fact that it's really normal to feel nervous, to feel frustrated, to feel scared, to feel ashamed, to feel all of the things we feel about math because math is challenging. So math represents all the other struggles we face in life. So math is a perfect chance and opportunity to role model how can we face challenges so you know we normalize and so this is where you know teacher experience can be really valuable too just saying hey you know the teacher can share their experience when I first learned about math you know this is how I felt or you know hey maybe let's share as a group what you know who is who is feeling like you know overwhelmed by this everyone raise your, you know raise your hand that kind of thing and then we move on to okay so we we've acknowledged those feelings Now, what can we do to help ourselves with those feelings? So, okay. So if you're feeling stressed or anxious about this, what are some, what are some things that we can do to help us tackle this so that we're, we're training ourselves in listening to that feeling and then letting it guide us, but not going into the freak out of like, well, that means I can never do math and that's it. And it's done for me. Or, you know, or silencing all those feelings and, you know, becoming the perfectionist, but we're really saying, okay, let's listen to that. And then let's each of us individually learn, how am I going to approach this? And then when they have that experience of overcoming that challenge through the acknowledgement of their feelings, then they know how to do other, how to face other challenges. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, the work of the Gates foundation tells us that uh, and and Pete and, and Pisa internationally I was going to say pizza, but, uh, but pizza is good too, but the uh, Pisa internationally, tells us that maths is the most important subject in the school. And the reason why is that math teachers have the greatest impact on the academic achievement of kids, positive or negative. So it's, it's, it's greater than a 0.5 effect. And I think so much of it is the way in which we'll to start with, you've got to know your stuff as a maths teacher, but you know, and you've mm-hmm. got to know your content, but you've also got to understand that your kids are your content as well too. And, and yes. you know, when you talk to kids who get maths and do it well, they'll tell you they love it because they know when they're right and when they're wrong. Yeah. And, they, and, and more often than not, they get it right. So they love it. When you yeah. talk to kids who don't do well at maths, they'll yeah. tell you how much they hate it because uh-huh. they know when they're right and they're wrong and they're more wrong often yep. than not so so it's almost like the the fight and, and flight thing coming out in a response yeah. to mass and yeah. to get people beyond that basic thing we've got to help them to process it along the way hey i want to i want to move on in the last part of of this episode i want to talk about this well-being stuff because you know again in my generation we were taught you know well we weren't taught anything about it i can i can remember in the army uh because there's this army in my background um uh, and, and when we were doing officer training, this uh, Vietnam War veteran warrant officer was supposed to teach us stress management. So he said, uh, you know, we had five lessons allocated to it. So he stood up the front and he said, right, everyone, go outside, have a cigarette. So we did, and we came <laughs> back inside. Don't smoke anymore. I did those things, but came back inside, and 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 he said, right, that's stress management. Now let's get on and talk about something real. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So like, (laughs) so, so I want to talk about wellbeing and we use the term wellness because it encompasses sort of physical and Mm -hmm. mental and emotional and Mm -hmm. psychological, et cetera. But why Mm -hmm. is, what is wellbeing Mm -hmm. and why is it so important? Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. So I would say wellbeing is, it's our relationship to ourselves. That's how I would describe it. It's our, it's, how are all of our systems are, are functioning. And what we haven't realized and we're starting to realize is what, what, how big of a role our past experiences, as we were talking about last time, our traumas, our thought patterns that are a result of those traumas, the, the things that are stored in our body, our feelings, our perceptions, our interactions, that all shapes everything else. So our health is vastly interrelated with that, even our physical health is. So when, you know, the reason it's so important, we'll take it back to that math class is, you know, for a student sitting there in class thinking, I'm stupid, I can't do anything, you know, that can lead, when we think of where that leads, like when you think of if you just ignore that, that could lead to that student failing that class, that could lead to that student you know, failing school that could lead to that student, then not trying to do anything else because they feel like a failure that could lead to that student, you know, in a, you know, awful case scenario, becoming homeless or becoming really, you know, angry and aggressive and becoming abusive, like all these things could happen. But if we, if we look at their wellness in that math class, and we say, Let's acknowledge that you're feeling sad and it's hard right now. Let's notice what are the thoughts that you're thinking? What are the thoughts that are limiting you? How are you perceiving yourself? And let's see if we can change some of those thoughts. So how can you see what maybe let's figure out how you can have a little bit of success so that you can feel what it's like to feel good about yourself. And then when you start feeling good about yourself and you've accomplished that one math problem, then you can accomplish maybe that class Then you can maybe accomplish you know, graduating school, then you can maybe feel confident enough to do the next thing. And then you can feel good enough about yourself to enter into a relationship and be kind to someone like everything comes from our perception of who we are and how we feel about ourselves. So that's why it's so important. Every, everything else rests on, on our own limiting or expansive view of, of who we are.
0: Again, if I, and if I can jump this out of the maths class and back into my ancient history class, it's not as though, you know, the origins of the Peloponnesian War, to go back to my, my favourite topic, I taught it 19 years in a row, I still, I still love it to bits, but it's, it's not as though it doesn't matter what the Athenians did and what the Spartans did and what the Megarians did and what the Corinthians did and all of that sort of stuff. It's not as though that doesn't matter. It's just that if we're not attending to the whole of the child, then we can't ever influence learning and the quality of the learning and the extent of the learning and the rate and progress that a student makes as well as we can so if we think that our job is simply to drill and skill in particular content then we're kind of missing the point are not we
1: yeah absolutely because it, it it completely depends on the state of mind and the state of of where we're at whether we learn anything you know if we if we feel confident and inspired and excited about learning, we will keep learning. So that's what I see. I think the role of a teacher is vitally important. And it's a huge, incredible area of, of a child's life. And the crucial role is helping them understand and trust themselves, helping them understand and trust that they can do things and to be inspired by the process of learning and by the process of discovery. And as we've been talking about, discovery always starts with self discovery. So figuring out how, and again, you know, something like history is a perfect example of it because, you know, I remember learning about history and being absolutely bored and I don't remember any of it. And it was just facts and figures. Oh, and prob- to-
0: you were probably in one of my early classes.
1: Right. <laughs> but- then I had a history teacher that I'm sure was the way you taught it, and he told stories, and he ex- you know he talked about real human experiences, and I remember, and it was about World War II. There are things that I remember about World War II from that grade twelve class because he helped me connect emotionally to the topic. So, you know, history, I think is a beautiful one where we can, you know, if we really help these kids care because it's personal to them, help them understand how does this relate to what we're going through now? You know, how do these things connect? You know, that is, that is what, you know, that's wellness as well, because that's okay. Now I have a personal connection to the content.
0: Yeah, that's hard. That's hard work, though, because that that requires lots and lots of vulnerability, flying around a five you know five meter by five meter space, and Mm. and people need to be ready to do that work with Mm. each other, uh, Mm. and to Mm. see that as as core to what they do. Haley, I'm. I'm going to, I'm going to pause us here and say, thank you very much for this part of this conversation. I, I really want to dig into a little bit more into the way in which we help individuals and groups come together in the next part of our conversation. So thank you very much. It's, it's, I'm, I'm learning so much. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, will you come back and have one, uh, one more conversation with me?
1: Of course, absolutely. It's a, a pleasure to be here.
0: Thanks very much, Dr. Haley Watson. The Game Changers podcast is produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions. It's powered by a schoolfortomorrow.com and circle.education. It's available on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on Spotify and on Google. If you like what you hear, tell your friends, subscribe, like, you know what to do. Let's go.